welcome to She's the Boss Chats. I'm your host, Jules Brooke, and in the show, I interview amazing women and female founders about what it is that they're doing and why they're doing it. It's all about us lifting up the women around us. Jodie Atkinson, I can't wait to hear your story and to share it with everyone. Thank you so much for agreeing to do this podcast chat. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Oh, it's my absolute pleasure. So why don't we start off by telling everybody what it is that you do now and why? Without so going I've, into, sorry, before, without going into too much, because I'm going to take you back to when you were a little girl after that. Okay. <laughs> well, I, uh, I'm very um, heavily involved um, in the loss and grief space. So I'm a grief recovery specialist. Yeah. I'm an author um, and I'm also a cabaret performer and pretty <laughs> much everything I do is around loss and grief. I'm very passionate about it. Right. And why or what was it that I know that there's a bigger story here, but was there something that kind of the light bulb moment? Was there something that happened to you um, that made you go, you know what, I'm I'm just not going to sit around and wait. I'm going to start doing this for people. And also mm. explain a little bit more about what a grief recovery expert does. Yeah. Okay. Well, yeah, you're right, Jules. I didn't wake up one day like most little girls and go, I really want to do when I grow up. this type of work. <laughs> yeah. You know, um, life experience has put me on this path. Um, yeah. And that is um, how I found myself here. Yeah. Um, and a grief recovery specialist is somebody that facilitates the grief recovery method, which is a program to help people overcome the pain of loss. And um, we're not just talking about death here either, are we? No, we're talking about loss. And there are like 40 plus types of loss that uh, we may experience in our lifetime. Yeah, which yeah. is and it's great to know so, that there's someone like you that can help people through it. So, um, all right, well, look, let's go back because the the big elephant in the room is why did you do it? But let's start with where did you grow up? What did your parents do? And do you have brothers and sisters? So I grew up in Victoria. I was born here in South Australia, but my parents okay. um, we moved to Victoria. We lived on a farm, and okay. I am the oldest of four children. Oh, um, another one. So am I. Yes. Yeah. Um, and I have two sisters and a brother. Okay. Um, so, yeah. And uh, so I, I spent a lot of my childhood growing up um, in regional Victoria and attended um, high school in Eden Hope. And um, when I finished ah. my year 12, I wanted to be a police officer. And okay. Well, hang on a minute. Application let, let, me go, oh, let me just go back a little bit. Um, talk to yep. me about what did your mum and dad do? My mum and dad, my dad was a farmer. My mum, um, I guess mum worked on the farm too, but she was, um, she also did grape picking. Um, she did lots of little odd jobs just right. to supplement the family income. Yeah. But she was pretty much a, um, a stay-at-home mum and she'd work in the school canteen and she was on school committees and things like that. She did all the running around her, our sports and recreational activities and things like that. Yeah. Right. So. And then and then you said you went to year through to year twelve. Did you enjoy school? <laughs> I love yes asking and no. this question. <laughs> uh, yes and no. I think elements of it. Um, there were certain subjects I absolutely loved and I thrived in those. And the subjects I didn't love and didn't do so well in not 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 so much. Um, right. I was more aligned with English um, English literature, performing arts, music. Um, didn't love math, science so much. Um, no. uh, yeah, but um, yeah, and you know, I, it was, it was, um, yeah, I have some fond memories of my high school years. Yeah. Oh, that's good. That's good. Yeah. I always like to ask that question because some people do and some people have a horrible experience. So, uh, so you went through to year 12. Mm. What happened after that? What was, was there an expectation you'd go to uni? No, um, I wanted to be, I was really, I really wanted to be an actress. I loved, I loved performing. And so I decided to go off and audition for some performing arts schools. And oh, wow. um, yeah, I, I 
failed dismally and uh, ended up going back. Their loss. Yeah, <laughs> going back uh, to to Eden Hope to say, well, I didn't make it. But my other goal was, you know, I had those two things, like be a police officer or be a drama teacher, actress. <laughs> I know, like… Quite different. <laughs> quite different. Um, so, I, I had done year, uh, done some, uh, pol- like, work experience at the Narracourt Police Station during… Ah, yeah, work so, experience makes a big difference, yeah, doesn't it? Yeah, right. It gives so, you a taste for things. Exactly. So, that's kind of where that's that sparked. And… And uh, when I was looking at applying, Victoria weren't um, uh, recruiting, but South Australia were. Right. So that brought me to Adelaide. Right. Mm. Okay. Wow. So you actually went and did the training. Did you complete it? Did you become a policewoman? I went through the whole process, right? I went from the um, initial um, application process right through to the panel interview and of course I kept making each level and I just get a letter every so often telling me to turn up on this day at this time to do the next assessment and I was I kept getting through so I thought you know I've got a really good crack at this yeah. and then of course I'm I'm what barely 19 straight out of school from the country get into the panel interview and just waffle on and oh, you poor thing. I'm so Just nervous. Nerves. Yeah. And yeah. and of course, you know, my my naivety, my inexperience, my sheltered little like upbringing from from being in the country came through and they just said, "Look, we think you're, you know, you've got everything we're looking for, but we think you should go and have life experience for 12 months life. come back and 12 months time." Yeah. So Okay, so you must have been heartbroken uh, having gone through all of that. When you talk about loss, yes, right? So I had <laughs> yes, pinned my true. heart on this and people were sort of like, oh, you know, and I, I didn't want people to think I was silly for crying about not getting this position. So oh, I'm hiding okay. in the bathroom and crying in bed and, you know, walking around with this I'm okay kind of attitude during the day, which is oh. a very particular societal kind of programming and expectation and we're often told to be strong and and yeah, you know true. chin up you 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 know but ultimately underneath all of that it's you know your heart is is broken, broken. and it's it's quite it, it can be quite devastating oh mm. absolutely i mean it can take people a long long time to recover from something like that but but what did you do next so you you get turned down um, and, and and it sounds like that was one of two options. So they both of them have gone. Yes. What so, did you decide you would do? Yes. So I ended up um, working out in hospitality. So <laughs> it was funny because when yeah. I was wanting to be an actress, people were saying, well, you better get good at waiting on tables because you're going to spend <laughs> a lot of time. So I ended up in hospitality waiting on tables. <laughs> and uh, <laughs> I, I didn't didn't enjoy that. Um, so I popped around to a um, childcare centre around the corner from where I, I lived with my grandmother when I was here in Adelaide. And, and uh, you know, having those siblings significantly younger than me meant that I, you know, I, I was used to feeding babies and changing nappies and yes. helping with toileting and all of those things. So working in childcare just felt like you know, an extension of that. So um, they loved me because I came in and I wasn't scared of Got that, into it. that type yeah. of stuff. So that's what I ended up doing for the, the so next 14 that, years. The, oh, wow. Because I was going to say, was the idea at the beginning that you would just get that year of experience and then go back and try and be a policeman again? That was absolutely woman, say. my goal. Like it was just, yeah, let's just spend a bit of time here. and And then I just kind of fell in love with that job and with, with yeah I yeah. bet I mean looking after babies has got to be yeah I mean if you love kids and I love kids as well that looking after young babies would be great fun so uh in during the course of that 14 years what else was going on in your life so you were working there did you get married did I did I met do any my of those things? I did I I met um at 19 I met my wow. um Baby. first husband yeah yeah. And like we we were together for a long time before we we got um, we got married, but right. uh, in I think it was uh, around about 1996 we got married. Okay. And then my first son, our first son, came along in 1998, and our second one in 2000. 
and you were still working in the childcare place at that stage. So I I was yes I had moved your babies in I'd with moved you. centres. Oh, not so much when they were little little, but right. um, you know later on when um, they were getting a bit older. I think Jared was about nine months old when I went back to work. When um, right, yeah, That's still pretty young. Yeah, so I was only working part time, but um, yeah, it was. It was nice. So there were two centres that were sort of sister centres, so they went to the other one. And um, and then later on when Daniel went to school, I brought Jared into the centre where I was, but I didn't work in the same space that he Room was in. Room as him. Yeah. Okay. And so um, 14 years is a really long time. What made you decide to leave? Other well, than it was a really long time. <laughs> yeah. I um, – I was approached by somebody about um, we were, there was a lot of um, lot going on in the industrial relations scene and trying to improve wages for childcare workers at the time. Yes, and I yeah. was approached by somebody to become um, you know we needed a union delegate in our centre because we wanted oh, to wow. have this. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so I put my hand up for that and I loved it, loved it, um, and I was really fortunate to win a member organizer position for three months working in my union as um, and going out to childcare centres and talking to people about oh, wow. improving wages and conditions for childcare workers, which was ultimately going to increase the, um, the um, uh, stability of the sector because a lot of people were leaving yeah. and it's heavily, you know, female-oriented. It's just it's, – it's the same really, isn't it? It's, yeah. It's, and we really realised it during the pandemic – how the people that we're paying least <laughs> are so important to the tapestry of life. Absolutely. That otherwise we can't even work. So Exactly. Yeah, important stuff. So, um, yeah, I, uh, I loved that role. And then um, a position um, became available, a permanent position. So I applied for that and I won that position and oh, I became wow. a union organiser. Yeah. Right. Wow, mm. this is a really interesting career. So, <laughs> so what did that entail? So more of the same. Initially, working in child in the childcare sec, um, side of things, like going out again, um, building around the wage increase campaign that we were we were working on at the time. Um, we would we would organise rallies um, to you know, and we had like these t-shirts with red sleeves and <laughs> you know slogans on them, and and it was a really interesting. Space because childcare workers are not militant. You know, people think union, no. and and there's a some people may think a very, um, you know, have a very, I guess, pre preconceived idea of what union might be like. But it was, yeah. you know, childcare workers. We're 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 not militant. We're not bang the table kind of people. We no. um, you know, we care about children. And the interesting thing about our our campaign was our parents of our centres were on board because yeah. they knew that, you know, having quality childcare meant, um, you know, that the children were going to be the benefit of that and they were going to have these great services and support. So we had a lot of support from the people that we catered to. And those, Yeah, and those years, I think, were when childcare became more and more crucial yeah. as women were kind of realising that maybe trying to get back into the workforce was going to be impossible mm. if they didn't have it. And then, and I mean, I still think, I, and obviously my kids are finishing school today actually, so wow. so it's been a while, but the fees have always been just so high and I think because the government isn't tipping in, you know. Mm. I mean, things are better now, but I mean, I remember my first child, I was able to afford to put him in childcare four days a week and my mum looked after him one day. When I had twins, there's no real discount for two at the same time and it becomes impossible. Yeah. I think it was the same cost to do one day. Yeah, it, it, and people are having to make those choices, right? So yeah. we, were, we were pushing for um, some government funding, which meant that yeah. parents weren't going to have to cop the brunt of, of any wage increases. So that was, that was what was happening at the time. Um, and I think, you know, it was, it was a really exciting time. It was a, it was a, you know, it was just lovely to see yeah. so many people getting, getting on board and other industries were looking at childcare and going, wow, look, look at these guys and look how they're doing it. And, um, yeah, it was really, really, really positive. 
So, so how long did you stay there and what came next? Well, I moved, I got moved off of the childcare side of things and I uh, was popped into hospitality and, um, and that's (laughs) where. coming back. I know, right? And uh, so I, I was working on, um, you know, because South Australia at the time, we had a, um, a little bit different setup to other states. Our casual workforce in hospitality had a 50% casual loading. So when Work right. Choices was um, coming in, it was about protecting our c- current conditions. So right. we were building a, an enterprise bargaining agreement around protecting wages for hospitality workers in pubs and clubs. And... Um, so I, I got put into that role. So my, my role was largely growth and right. education around, um, you know, protecting what we have so we don't lose it and how to, how to lock how those things in. fascinating. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, so what made you stop working there? Well, I, I kind of – this is pivotal to this story, but I ended up okay. moving into um, a, a um, working – in a particular work site, we at the casino and working around their enterprise bargaining agreement as right. well, which is where I met my second husband. Oh, were that you role. still married at the time? No, or no, had no, you no, no. I had, I was, I was, uh, I was, I was. I have the, to ask. Yes, no, no, no. I, uh, I, we had separated and and the divorce was about to to um, imminent go through. And yeah. then you meet this fabulous guy at the casino. I as did, you do. and yes, like it was while I was in that workspace, so it was kind of like. Very interesting, um, you know. What did he do? Was he in hospo himself? Yes, yeah. So right. he was a um, um, a, a croupier inspector. Um, okay. So he um, would be um, sort of yeah. It wasn't. It wasn't. Uh, it was very. You know, I kept things very professional, just so we, you know, being really clear. It was <laughs> well done. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so it was sort of like um, I wasn't there long. I ended up moving to another another union, and of yeah. course that wasn't an issue anymore. But um, yeah, it was that's where we met. Right, and fell madly in love. And so, um, yeah. what happened next? Well, I I moved into politics, and I became oh my a, god, Jodie, I, became, I didn't know that. I became a member. <laughs> I, yes, I became a personal assistant to a member of parliament, and right. I um, loved that. That was in the um, the electorate office of the the member, yeah. So working in the in the in the um, electorate, grassroots community work, working alongside Fantastic. you know with schools, sporting clubs, local organisations, and um, working with constituents issues and things like that. Right. And um, I spent three years there before I decided I wanted to. What did I really want to do when I grew up? Which was work in fitness. <laughs> So, oh my god! I'm <laughs> waiting for the stage, but it still hasn't come. No, no. Um, working, yeah, working in health, health and fitness, and I, um, I built From a, politics to health and fitness. I know. That's hilarious. Yes. And, so, what did and, you do? You you left? Did you look for another job? Uh, because, or, or you know, what what made you want to leave politics? I had <laughs> stupid question. Yeah, <laughs> um, look, I I really enjoyed the work that I did there, but it was sort of like I I had been on a health my own health journey Kick. alongside right. of all that and I had lost 25 kilos. So oh my God. I was huge. very, yes, it, it, it was, you know, people would say, you know, how you look and it's very aesthetic but it was like no one talks about how I feel. No, and it makes a big difference to how you feel if you lose weight. I mean, I know because I've been like a yo-yo all my life uh, how great it feels when you've lost. Mm. And how it changes your mindset and, Correct. and I can understand that you would then think, oh, now I'm ready for fitness. I wasn't ready for that at, at, before in my life. Yeah, it was like I want to help other women feel like I feel. Right. You know, I. how do you, you – you know, if you could bottle it, you would and you'd be lying, yeah. lying on a beach somewhere and you would never have a care in the world, would you? Because that stuff would just sell like hotcakes. But you can't. So right. the next best thing is to facilitate the process of helping someone get that. So um, I became a personal trainer and fitness instructor and 
And yeah, we, um, hang on, were you big in sport growing up? I mean, you, I did literature and mm. art and performing arts at school and I was shit at, <laughs> at um, sport, like failed it in year eight. People go, you can't fail sport. Yes, you can. I did. Um, so where did this love of fitness come from other than the losing weight? Well, I mean, I did play netball as a kid, basketball, oh, okay. and, um, you know, I enjoyed PE at school. Um, okay. But I, I wouldn't say that I'm particularly good at sport either. But I loved um, I loved going to the gym and I loved dance right. fitness and I loved, you know, punching stuff and body combat <laughs> stuff, you know. I loved, I loved doing okay. that, yeah. Um, I'm not really a, a Pilates yoga sort of exercise right. um, person. I'm more the, you know, high-intensity punch stuff, kick stuff, dance, um, you know, wow, and lift weights and that kind of stuff. So um, that's kind of what I really enjoy doing. And I, right. I got a job in a women's only um, – um, it was a bit like mm-hmm. a – it was a healthy inspirations. Um, but wasn't it cha- – was it like Fernwood or was it just somebody had – a woman had decided to start her own? Yeah, I think it was like a – there were quite a few of like Curves, I think is another oh, one. Oh, I know Curves. Yeah, yes. so healthy inspirations is very um, like the – I guess the – another type of – similar type that of, kind of model, thing. Yep, of, yep. you know, and women's only. And um, nice. yeah, so I worked in there and then um, – and then I decided I wanted to start my own business. So, so I, what prompted that, though? What, what moment was it that made you go, I'm going to go out on my own? Yeah. Because it's a big decision. I, look, and this is just my, percep- my yeah, perception of, of what this was going on. You. I just saw a lot of inconsistency in the industry. Right. Um, you know, there didn't seem to be any real set way of doing things and you know you get paid this over here and get paid that over there and I just thought you know what I'm being told that I'm worth this much for the what I'm doing I want to get paid that much I don't want to be you know getting paid over here to do the same work that I can be paid over here and doing my own thing plus I loved the idea of being able to do what my what I wanted to do but drew the people to me that wanted what I was offering Okay. Yeah. So did you have to start a gym? Did you find a space to do it in or no, I was how a, did you do it? I was a mobile PT. So I hired I love mobile PTs. Yeah. I hired <laughs> I one schools. Once. Yeah, and it's it's great because I mean I'd front yeah. up to people's homes. You yes. know, and it was sort of like, Oh, you're here. And I was like, Yeah, we, we arranged that. <laughs> um But that's what's so great because you walk in the door and you go, Oh, if it, if I'd been left to myself, I wouldn't have done it. And that and the uh, that, and that was other some, great yeah, that other great thing of kind of understanding, like on mine, I remember she made me do bum dips or something on a coffee table. I now know all the furniture around my house and what exercises I can do with them. <laughs> exactly, right. Um, but I'd I'd rock up with, with my pads and gloves and the, you know, the weights and I, yeah, I had like a, yeah, right. this car was constantly full of gym equipment. Um, and I hired school halls and ran group fitness and dance fitness classes oh, in wow. those. And um, and I did aqua aerobics as well or aqua fitness um, classes as well. So it was wow. quite – and I did kids fitness. I had quite a lot of different Sounds diverse like um, things going on. And, it, yeah, so, I was so busy. did the business – I was going to say, did the business kind of do quite well then? It did it, to start with, like going from, you know, a reasonably well-paid job <laughs> to – that was yeah. like, oh, what have I done? But it was also the fire in the belly was always there. And it was right. like, just persevere. And, and I did. I, I, you know, I was working six days a week. Sunday was my sacred day. Like nothing happened on a Sunday. People right. would say, oh, can you come and train or something? No, nah, Sundays are off. Like right. I'll do Saturday mornings. <laughs> I was out four nights a week doing classes and PT sessions yeah, and whatever. So, yeah, I was busy. It's that irony of saying I'm going to – own my own business so I get paid well and it's flexible and then you go, yeah, uh, it kind of doesn't always work out that way. <laughs> no, and, and that's the thing, you know, the prioritising the business and the family mm. around that, you know, like it's not – there wasn't a lot of time for pursuing the the acting and the other yes. hobbies and interests that I had at the time. I was really focused on that. But I was really passionate about my health and fitness business, so, you know – 
Fantastic. Yeah. So what happened next? Well, in 2019, um, I decided I wanted to get back on the stage and I decided to join Yay. a, yes, a women's um, burlesque uh, fusion group. <laughs> and I, um, I did and in February of 2019, I got back on the stage because I thought this is this is this feels like a soft kind of entry back in. You know, I'm on stage with other women. I don't have to remember lines. I don't have to speak. I don't have to sing. I just have to move. <laughs> right. Um, and and can I ask, were you still running the business at that stage, or yes. had you stepped to right? Okay. So yeah. this is an extra yeah. thing that you're doing. But I guess in some ways, being a PT, you are on the stage because you are the one who's telling everyone what moves to make and things. So it does seem like more of a natural progression. Yeah, right. But it was all it was sort of like, no, I really want to indulge this this part yeah. of me that I have left sort of sitting, you know, yearning to be heard in the background for a really long time. So I did that and it was so much fun. Had a ball, met some beautiful women, friends till this day. Um, and then uh, a little bit not too long after that, sort of around Easter weekend, um, Craig, my my husband, um, we were we weren't married at the time, but he um, he started experiencing some changes in his health. Like his back was starting to ache a lot, and nothing right. seemed to be fixing that. Was uh, he quite sporty? Yeah, I mean, yeah. Were, were you putting this down to sort of sports injuries and things at first? Well, he's pretty active. I'd catch right. him. Where, you know, he'd be doing tug of war with a dog, but the dog would be lifted off the ground, you know, like, you know, and, and he was helping mates move furniture and, and bird cages. And, right. So. And he worked out probably, if not every day, every second day. Um, and he was walking the dog 5Ks every morning. Wow. So right. he had taken so. um, a redundancy package from work by this stage. So he was home a bit more. Um, yeah. And, uh, yeah, so it was, you know, he was pretty active. Pretty healthy. Yeah. And yeah. when I went vegetarian, he cut down on his meat intake. So he was eating really healthy. Better as well. Yeah. So um, when this back pain, um, you know, came up and he was having, he went and had some physio, he had chiropractor, he went to have massage and it would offer some short term relief, but it would just, it was like he said, it just seized up again. Yeah. Right. And he went off to the doctor. He, he was, then started to get this bizarre kind of um, indigestion and right. uh, went to the doctor and the doctors assumed that he's taken an anti-inflammatory for his back and flared up his stomach. Oh, uh, yep, yep, because that can happen. Yeah, but he didn't spend any time listening to the, you know, what was actually going on and just said, right, off you go. So, oh, my God, didn't do any tests? No. Right. Didn't didn't examine him, didn't anything. And so I when he got home, I just said, Well, that's what a load of crap, pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, we need to get a second opinion because I'm not happy with that. I don't you know. So we went off and saw someone, a doctor we'd never met before, and um she did listen. She sent him off for a scan and um we were meant to go back the next day or he was going to go back the next day to get the results, but she called him in that afternoon. Oh, my God. And, um, yeah, and that's what he said, like, it can't be good, can it, if she's called no. me in. So we go in there and she pulls up the results and, um, yeah, it's it's uh, clear that he has lots of spots on his pancreas and his liver and she mm. suspects it's pancreatic cancer. So oh. she's made a tentative appointment two days later with an oncologist and yep. that's when it was pretty well confirmed. confirmed. Mm. Oh, how devastating for yeah. both of you. It was devastating. It was just like, how, yeah, you, how, did how, how does this happen? Yeah, you know. And um, how does it happen to someone who's so fit and healthy? Because well, this is it. Well, that's one of the weird things that I have noticed. And my dad was very, very fit and healthy and got a brain tumour and died in six months. But then I started looking back at all the people that I know that have passed and they've almost all been the fit and healthy ones. It's quite weird. Yeah, it was It was pretty, pretty. Um, oh, look, just I can't even tell you what, what was the big things in our life at that time. Everything just kind of obliterated and this was, it, it was just like this diagnosis. And 
we're looking at options and we were told with 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 treatment he had six to eight months so oh gosh it still wasn't so it wasn't very long even with treatment no so we were told i think it was three to six months without treatment and six to eight with so oh my god what an awful yeah it's a it's a it's how old was he at this stage 52 like oh god so young Mm. right so what did you decide to do well he said i'm going to do the treatment yeah so um i backed him as you do you know yep um and we didn't really have a lot of time to think about you know what could we do and you know because it is it is yeah it's fast and uh, so we started treatment and um, he was very reserved out of the two of us, more private, more, you know, just don't want the world to know what's going on. So we right. only told close friends and family and the rest of the people were told, look, you know, we're having tests, we've got this. I had to tell some of my clients that um, he had cancer and we were doing cancer treatment, but I didn't tell them what type um, right. because I knew as soon as I said, pancreatic cancer people would just be oh my god my I know someone who had that and you know I just didn't want other people's horror stories I just thought we've got to run our own race Mm -hmm. um and it was really putting a boundary around what we were um, prepared to share and managing other people so that we didn't have all of that on board as well yeah all the phone calls and Mm. inquiries and and all and, and on top of that all the kindness which at that time possibly would have felt a little bit much as well. Oh, look, yeah, the stay positives and you've got this type yeah. of stuff. You, you're you dealing with a cancer that two-thirds of people who get pancreatic cancer die in their first year. And the, yeah. the survivor rates after five years are around 10%. So mm. the odds are against you. So having that positive cancer, you've got this, keep your chin up, you know, not helpful. No. Yeah. Um, and it's not to say that we were defeatist. It was just real. Like the reality yeah. is we are probably not going to survive this. And we've got a big fight on our hands one way or the other to deal with right now. Yeah. And Jules, if, I don't, if you don't mind, November it is Pancer- Pancreatic Cancer Awareness Month, so it's quite timely we're having this conversation. Oh, my God. Mm. Oh, I might try and make sure that this goes out fast then. I, I didn't realise that this was Cancer Awareness Month. Yeah. Yeah, pancreatic cancer. Yep. So, and we've just had the put your foot down walk with Pankind um, last weekend. So, um, that was to raise funds for pancreatic cancer aware um, research as well. So, yeah, it's quite timely to be having this conversation with you. Well, it is. It's a bit Mm. confronting for you, I would think, and I'm and I'm really sorry, but it's a it's a it's part of your life, I guess, and it's part of why you're doing what you're doing. So, yeah, sure. how, what, what happened next? I mean, I don't want to lead you. Just keep telling me the story. So we, we, took, the, we took the treatment um, and the plan was to do three rounds and then have a break and then start again. So um, we did the three and in that time um, we also started to think about, well, what, what, what do we want to do? Um, and we decided we wanted to get married. We thought if we've got six to eight months, we want to let's let's get married. So we let's we organised that, and we we had to ask for permission to get married earlier than the the month um, notice that you're meant to apply, you know, meant to have. But um, and we were going to get married on the week that he wasn't having chemo, so he could be as well as he possibly could be. Yep. And we'd planned to have a little ceremony here at home, just close friends and family. What was he quite sick at that stage, or was he still? No, at this kind stage, of almost okay. He was, I mean, I know he, yeah, chemo he was, not rocks you about, but he was all right. Um, yeah, yeah, he was. He was still okay. Um, yeah, okay. He was still um, Craig, as we, you know, yeah. like to remember him. Um, and he was still pretty mobile. He was, you know, still doing stuff around here and walking the dog and that kind of stuff. All right. But then the treatment. Once treatment started, it all changed. And by that week that we were meant to get married, um, he kept spiking temperatures after um, treatment, chemo, which right. is can happen. Um, and it meant if his temperature reached 38, I had to race him back to hospital. Right. And we'd get triaged straight away. So that kept happening. And on the third time of that happening, um, when he went into hospital, he didn't come, didn't come home. 
That was the last oh time my he God. went in. So, is, so this is before the wedding? Yes. So we were meant to get married on the 15th of June and yeah. the June long weekend, he go, he's in hospital. I've, I've moved into the hospital on the Sunday of that weekend. Right. Um, Monday being a public holiday, the hospital staff, I'm saying, well, we're getting married next weekend. They're going, yeah, we know, but um, why don't you get married in one yeah, of the hospital now. gardens, right. you know, in case he's not well enough. Okay, yep. And then that turned into there's a nice room at the end of the ward that we could have available for you and, wow. um, you know, we can do that. And then it became, yeah, like if you want to get married, probably want to do that within the next 24 to 48 hours. <gasps> oh, Jody, and I'm getting goosebumps just it, hearing that. Like that's just... Yeah. So by the time you've got that on the Monday of a public holiday weekend, <laughs> thinking nothing's open... I can't go, no. I, you know, because the celebrant can't, you know, we've got our date. He can't do anything earlier. And then Tuesday morning, this beautiful social worker from the hospital comes into the room and says, I'd love to have the number of your celebrant if you've got it. And I gave it to her and those two made it happen. Those two wow. took everything out of our hands. And next thing I'm getting a phone call from him saying, we've got it. I can come in and marry you. What time do you want me there? And this was on the wow. Tuesday, yeah. So did you get married on the Tuesday? We did, yes. We got wow. married. That's... We had family in the room. We, the celebrant there, um, Craig couldn't get out of bed. He wasn't well enough to get out of bed. Wow. Um, How long had you been together by that stage? 14 years. Wow. Mm. Yeah. Oh. So, well, I'm glad you got to get married. Yeah. I'm sure he was. It was, you know, it was it – was, Absolutely. And, you know, um, it was beautiful and so glad, you know, it was, yeah. yeah. Very bittersweet, I imagine. Oh, for day. sure. Yeah. And then. Um, so did you stay in the hospital that night? I did. Him? Did you get like a little honeymoon night sort oh, of? Well, you most and the people. Tubes and the well, catheters and all the rest of it. Yeah. There wasn't, it wasn't very, very uh, traditional wedding night, if you like. We were talking organ donation and funeral arrangements. Oh, um, I know, right? Mm. And um, yeah, because he was a very passionate, very passionate about organ donation, and um, I Good forgot man. about that in the grand scheme of everything going on. And he mentioned it, and I went, "Oh!" So um, we were talking about it, and one of the nurses came in to do his obs and do things, and she said, she just said to him, "I have to say." Um, you know, how wonderful it is to hear you having this conversation and, you know, I, you know, it's really special and just is there anything I can do to help you? And he, when, as, our, as our discussion unfolded, he decided he was going to donate his corneas. Right. And so she went and got the paperwork for him so that we could look at what was involved with that and um, made the decision that he was going to do cornea donation. Um, right. And, um, yeah. The and next so there is somebody able to see because oh, of him now? Well, two people actually, Jules. Um, wow. So two people, a man and a woman, both were give, gifted um, the gift of his sight corneas. from him. And I like to think that there are people seeing the world through his eyes. Yes. Mm. And they're probably, oh, God, you're going to make me cry now. <laughs> yeah. Oof. So, um, yeah. so presumably he passed pretty soon after that. The next day. Wow. Mm. Oh, Jody. Mm. Uh, and I'm guessing that it it gave you an enormous amount of grief because I mean I know with my mum she said it was just waves of it that she couldn't talk. Uh, it's it's the it's the it, you don't you're not going to be anywhere else. And you yep. know you're coming out of this the other side. You don't really think about you in the grand scheme of things. You just you're very focused on what your person needs and yes. and and looking after them and and doing everything you can. And and I don't know. You discover what you're prepared to do for someone you love. Like yes, and yes. you you know in hindsight, looking back, you think, wow, like. I learned a lot about myself in, in that process. Absolutely. But, um, you but know, it's so overwhelming and time-consuming looking after someone 
who's who's dying, that the shock when they go, I I, I just it, there's kind of there's nothing to do anymore. No. It's like this big hole in your life. Oh, and apart it was, from the person, it's also the all the activity that was going on. Oh, and 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 it's just the fact that it was like it, it's thirty seven days later, Jules. This has happened. Not yeah. even the Far six to out. eight months we were given. This is thirty-seven days, so we were barely used to the fact he was sick. Yeah, and then I'm, um, and he was gone, and then he's gone, and you know, it's just like, what just happened? You know, yeah, what I just bet. happened? I bet because we, we, and you've got two young boys at that stage as well, I guess. So the boys um, were nineteen and turning twenty-one at the time. Yeah, that's young for, yeah. to lose your dad or your yeah, stepdad. Stepdad, yeah. But, you yeah. know, very much, very, very, um, like, you know, good relationship. Very, you know, he'd said to yeah. them, like, you know, I think of you as my own. Like, he's, he was a really good dad to those boys. And, you know, they've, they still to this day feel, feel yes. the loss of him because, you know, they're, they're starting to have their own families and build their houses and things like that. So, you know, that advice and guidance that he would have offered would have been, um, you know? Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So what about you? What what happened with you, Jody? Well, I fell in a heap. Um I have never been one to really identify as as um anxious and panic-stricken and fearful. And that's how grief showed up. And right. I was scared to leave my house. And when I did, I was—I just wanted to get home. Um, I was having panic attacks. I would be losing time in a cup of coffee, and you know, you just think, "Oh, where's that hour gone?" And you've just been sitting there, <laughs> numb and foggy. Yeah. And the next thing you know, you're out of breath, and your heart's racing, and you—and you're thinking that you know, oh. you're just getting slammed with a panic attack, and it was horrific. Um, did you get any kind of counselling? Well, I, I demanded it. Yeah. And I ended up, because um, my mum was staying with me and, and Craig's parents were here at the time, and I just said, I can't deal with these emotions by myself. I'm not used to being so overwhelmed with such huge, yeah, strong emotions. scary emotions. Yeah, and I said, I need help. And I went and I booked in with the doctor and she um, got me in to see someone who... <laughs> I am. I, I. I was worse off for that experience. It was absolutely horrific, oh. and um, fidgeted with everything on their desk. Didn't maintain eye contact with me, and I didn't realise it was only a half an hour session. So, um, oh my god, being told, oh well, that's it. Time's up. Suddenly, I'm. I'm what? Um, and I ended up racing out of there and bawling <laughs> my eyes out in the car park, yeah. like sitting in the car, just thinking, and what am I going to do? Yeah, like that wasn't. Helpful and and the advice was, well, you're just going to have to get through it, you know. And it was like, well, okay, I'm feeling. I didn't need to come in and see you for that. Mm. Thanks. Um, But the beautiful palliative care team that had been supporting us in that time, um, there was a lovely nurse. She reached out and she said about you know having some counselling. I said yes, please. And she, I said after the funeral, book me in, like do it. So we did, um, and I and I had. A few months with this very lovely, over the phone. I never met this person, never saw his face, but just beautiful um, just social worker. Of, yeah, who um, some days we would talk, some days we would, I would just ball the whole session, and other sessions, I, you know, there'd be a bit of laughter in there. You know, oh. um, he was. There really was are amazing. very good. There are very good people in the world, aren't they? Mm. And, and palliative care nurses are right at the top of my list of. You know, like you know, they're just very, very special, and Indeed. this social worker sounds. Uh, you know, it kind of gives you hope, doesn't it? Because it's yeah. just such an awful thing to go through, and there's so many people who are really kind. Yep. Yeah. No, he was he was lovely, um, but our time got cut short because he had to go back to where he was um, <sighs> originally from, and right. I was given another person to work with, but the rapport wasn't there, and it kind of I felt like I was rushed off. And I'm thinking... What a horrible experience for you. It wasn't great. I mean, it was no. probably... I just felt like a little life raft had been cut loose and just been, you know, now I'm out there navigating this big ocean again by myself. And um, and I was... All this time, though, and I'm searching, I'm watching 
article, reading articles, I'm looking for books, I'm buying books, I'm, I'm watching TED Talks, I'm, I've, I've got, you know, about eight books on grief that I've <laughs> purchased, you know, just trying nice. to understand what I was experiencing because I didn't know that I was going to have all this happen. Yeah. Um, God, you poor thing. It was, yeah, it was pretty devastating. And then I guess Father's Day 2019, I was just scrolling through social media and I was on a, on a, a widow's social um, media page. Media page, yep. And somebody had asked a question about something and there was an answer in the comments thread and this person said they were a grief recovery specialist. And I was like, what's that? Yes. So I Google it and there comes up this page of information about the grief recovery method and I'm like, oh, and then there's, oh, Australasia. Let's have a look at that. And in Perth, there is the Australasian Institute run by this beautiful woman called Amanda. And I just thought, you know what, I'm just going to ring up. Who's going to answer the phone on Sunday? Father's Day, no one, but she did. I'll leave a message. Wow. (laughs) I know. She answered and spent about half an hour on the phone. And I, for someone who didn't like going anywhere and, and the idea of leaving my home and going, you know, even an hour away to someone's shack with the dog for overnight or anything was completely like, you know, too much. I booked a flight, accommodation and paid for this um, program and and, uh, I ended up having to wait till March um, 2020. But I... And in that time, I just kept researching. Oh my God, March 2020. Yeah. So this is. I just realized. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. So, um, and I think all my friends were like, I, you know, because I I just kept talking about doing this grief recovery method. I'm going to go do this. I'm going to do this. But I found out I could also certify in the program. Right. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that too. Because I think. I've discovered that there is this massive hole that you fall in that I was blissfully unaware of and suddenly I'm no longer blissfully unaware. I am very well aware and I fell in this massive hole and I don't feel right just walking away from it knowing other people are going to do that. Yeah. Without, I'm getting emotional, without being on the sideline to help people out. I don't want to sit in the hole and wait for them. Like I don't want to be stuck down there. No. But I don't want to walk away and just go, well, you know, you, you'll find out like I did and, and, and just pretend it never happened. It just doesn't sit right to do that. Um, oh, you're such a beautiful soul, you, Jodie. You know, it's, I think. You're right. You're absolutely right. You just want to be able to help other people. Yeah. And, and probably help yourself at the same time by getting through it, being able to talk to other people who are going through or have gone through similar things. But, I mean, tough call. You're very brave. It just felt right. Like, it just felt like I have to do this. And, you know, it was also a way of, I guess, finding meaning in in Craig's death, you know, finding yeah. um, a way to make that meaningful. A positive. Yeah. Get some something positive out of it. Yeah. So talk to me about the pandemic. So you go and do this qualification and then yeah. along comes. I mean, thank God you're in South Australia. I know, right? To- I, I mean, it, it got to the point like I was watching things and I just thought, oh, gosh, please let me get to Perth, you know, right. because I'm thinking, you know, it's starting to look like things are getting cancelled, things are getting shut down. I said, please yeah. let me get to Perth. So I got to Perth. I'm so excited and I was like, Holy crap! I hope I can get home. <laughs> you know, so how long were you in Perth? Uh, about long, five, was, six days. Yeah. So was this the certification process? Yeah. Or so this I was did just my. Yeah, I did my. I worked through my stuff and the certification process. So wow, yeah, in like only five or six it was. Days. It was a. Long. It was a. Yeah, it's pretty concentrated. Um, and it's you know the toilet paper stuff starts happening. People are saying they can't get toilet paper in shops because you know people are suddenly thinking. Global pandemic means we need to stock up. I uh, I I'd forgotten about that. It just blew. It, I think it blew everyone's mind it, at the time. I that know that was what everybody went for. And 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 the reason why it's significant, it stands out, is because friends of mine were in Bali, 
saying, Adelaide, yeah. what are you doing? Why are you all going nuts about toilet paper? And I said, well, I'm in Perth and it's happening over here too. Um, yeah. And there was a coffee shop that I walked past every morning to go to my course and um, and it had, we may not have toilet paper, but we do have donuts. <laughs> 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 so... It was. You had to have a sense of humour. Oh, at that look, time, I, I know. Guess. We just had no idea what was coming, really. Didn't I know, we? right? So, um, yeah. So I get, I get on a flight. I come home. I actually change my seat so I've got more room. I don't want to sit next to somebody coughing, right? I've decided. Yep. I, I just, I don't. So I've. I'm um, going to get this. And I'm wearing a mask. And masks started to just be a thing overnight over in Perth as well. I just noticed people started to suddenly really. Yeah. So um, I get back to Adelaide. I think I'm here home a week and a half and we're on lockdown. Right. Yeah. So. Um, and boy, oh boy, did people who lost people during the lockdowns have to go through another level. I mean, thank God you were able to be with Craig. Oh, look, yes. Can you imagine and, some and of those people that, that only were able to FaceTime their partners as they were dying? Oh, you you can't awful. imagine. And, and no. the funerals, you know, having numbers cut down. Um, my, yeah, my best friend up in Sydney, her father died in Adelaide and she had to watch it streaming, couldn't mm, get there. Yeah. It's it layers and layers and layers of loss. Like, yeah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, so, so did you start to grow the business during the lockdown? Well, Were I, you able to start reaching out to people? I did. And, and look, I wasn't meant to be an advanced specialist but because we're being on lockdown and we can't do anything face to face we're not allowed to go anywhere I certified as an advanced specialist so that I could work online oh okay so I could do this type of thing yeah with people in their homes um and connect and they're not sitting there isolated grieving on their own they've we in can, the bottom we of can, that hole yeah yeah, yep. and, and can't see the light at the top. Yeah. So I became yeah. – um, I certified – I did another certification like to – just to, to, you know, get that um, – because that was something I was supposed to do later on, but it was just like right. under these circumstances, we cannot have people grieving, isolated, no. stuck, unable to access support. We need you to do this training. So, so once you qualify, did the institute in Perth start sending people to you? Is that how it works? Um, that it can, had, like if people contact people them, help? if people contact them, they can say, look, there's someone in South Australia that needs a specialist or, you know, and being online, I could work with anyone. I could, could work with someone in Queensland or Western Australia. Or so, um, yeah, so, um, there is, you know, scope to work. I could just say, yes, I'll take that person's details and I'll give them a call, you know. Um, a lot of my clients have come through word of mouth. People who know me are doing the work that I'm doing have said, you yep. should speak to Jody. I've had a lot of clients come that way. Um, I've had people who have purchased my book come through as well. I read your book. I want to do your program. Well, tell me about the book. So when did you write the book? During the lockdown? Um, I, I started, yeah. I, 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 because I shared my grief experience um, quite openly and saying, look, I'm having all these weird emotions and I don't feel like I'm confident and I, I, I'm struggling with the idea of going back to work and all this sort of stuff. People said, you should write a book. I'm learning so much about this yeah. because of what you're sharing. And I was like, I got that message enough times that I thought, all right, maybe I will write a book. So um, <laughs> universe as it works, I, um, I was on social media one day and this five-day book challenge pops <laughs> up. Write yep. your first book. And it was a free five-day challenge. A lady by the name of Emma Franklin Bell. Um, I jumped on her challenge. Um, and then I, having done that, she just said, there's such a need for your work. Yes. Um, so I'd really books love... on grief. Yes. They just aren't. So, I know when De Dad died, we were looking everywhere and there are very few. Yeah. <coughs> and I continue so, to hear that. So, so what, what's the name of the book and where can people buy it? If so but there's my book in – oh, well, you can see the background. But it's in um, Have You Met My Grief? Right. And, um, and yeah, it's basically a, um, a toolkit for widows and widowers. But I guess I have had people who um, have lot, had different types of relationship loss have said that they've found value in it. Um, and it talks about what grief may look like. 
I interviewed other widows, so I um, reached out to this community from this social media page I referred to earlier. She said that I could could invite her community to be part of this, and I had women in the UK, Canada, America, um, here in South Australia and Victoria, um, all, all say we'd love to talk to you and share yeah, our story. I just think it's really important, and, and you say widows and widowers and people going through grief, but it's all the people around them. Like we yes. we all want to read something to go, how do I help mum? How do I help my friend? You know, I mean, it's it's so much bigger than just... It is. Chapter 5 is all about that. Yeah. Chapter <laughs> 5. Yeah, Chapter 5 is here. Give this... Give the book to your, your friend or family member, open on this page and let them read. And it's all the things that people have told me are unhelpful yep. and what I found unhelpful, but there's also the things that are more helpful and things that people could say instead of and do instead of. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So it is, um, you know, it is, it is not just about don't do these things. Here's some things to try instead. Yeah, um, and it's based on people who are grieving, giving that, giving that feedback, saying, you know. And that's what's so important, I think. The lived experience, yeah. Wow. So when did the book come out, Jodie? Uh, July, uh, January 2021, I launched. Jeez, there's no flies on you, are there? You just kept yourself busy. Uh, well, like I said, the pandemic, um, you know, I was, I was shut down for three months. I couldn't go to work. So, I'd like to be sympathetic, but we were shut down for nearly two years. I know. <laughs> and, and I'd say and that. And it's had all sorts of repercussions. And still too, does, that, right? Yeah, that we're just dealing with now. And the mental health aspects and the loss around that. And some people, their businesses haven't recovered. No, um, that's right. And the kids, let me tell you, the kids, it's it's just every parent I talk to and I'll say, oh, you know, my kids really struggled and I didn't think that they were, but they did. And all the parents will go, yep, my kids too. Yeah. It's it's just everywhere. But anyway, so you turned lemons into lemonade to an extent, released the book. Yeah. I, I Started I, the grief counselling. Yep. So I was doing that. I was back doing my health and fitness business again. Um, okay. On a lot on a different scale I kind of um you know I'd cut out some things but I was doing other and you know doing doing the core stuff I guess yeah um and then yeah just pottering along I guess for a couple of years doing that and kind of working in health and fitness to work in hydrotherapy and um a um uh like an arthritis program, a specific program. Right. Um, and doing grief recovery on the side of that. And then I I was very creative. I was writing poetry. I was, you know, and then I decided I want to write a cabaret show. <laughs> I love the way your brain works because I don't know that there's a lot of women going through what you've been going through. Oh, let me just throw in a cabaret show as well. Well, I hadn't. But I love it. I hadn't intended to do it about grief such. I was going to do it about COVID. Um, right. And the, all of the advice I was given was, we're over it. We don't want to hear about it. Like, no. So I started to think, well, you know, there's a really powerful story here around loss. And, you know, because they, they sort of asked me how, you know, how I came to be wanting to do this. It's like, I think I need to do something about grief because it is such a powerful um, yes. message that, you know, to share. And so I did a 10-minute um, set as part of a bigger show and then I turned that 10-minute set into a one-hour, one-woman show and debuted that at the Cabaret Fringe Festival here in June this year. Wow. Mm. So is the idea that you'll – try and turn that into something that you might tour or do more of because it sounds incredible to just do at you know in in Adelaide what about the rest of Australia yes definitely um there is definitely interest in touring um I've got Adelaide Fringe coming up in February 2024 which I've got three shows um, that I'm doing. Oh, I might have to get myself over there. Yeah, would be lovely. Um, I will be there. And I'll find uh, a way. so I've got um, yeah three shows in in um, through February and March, and I um, I have a beautiful cousin who is a professional Auslan interpreter, and she's going to do sign oh, language for my show. Yeah, mm. yeah. Well, I could bring a deaf woman with me that I know as yeah. well. Yeah. 
So that's um, wow, absolutely amazing. God, mm. I could keep talking to you forever, and we've run out of time. <laughs> What an incredible story. Now, just is there anything that you want anyone listening to know other than obviously they should buy your book and go over to Adelaide Fringe in 2024 in February if they can get over there? Um, But if anybody wanted to have a chat with you about their own grief or um, because they would like you to come and speak or do a performance for them, what's the best way of getting hold of you, Jodie? So... I'm uh, I'm on the socials with Jodie Atkinson Loss and Grief Support, but I Great. my website is www.jodie-atkinson.com.au and you will find everything about me on that website. There will be information about my grief recovery work, my book, and my cabaret show. Um, and yes, how to book me if you would like me to come and speak to your group or your organisation. Um, yeah, that's and I'm on Instagram and LinkedIn. Wow. Well, I am just so, so glad that our paths have crossed and what you're doing is super important. I really feel that, you know, my dad died 20 years ago now, but it still feels like yesterday to all of us really in the family and, yeah. and I'm the eldest of four as well. And I remember actively deciding after dad died to have another child so that my kids my my son wouldn't be on his own if something happened to my husband or I at the time because yeah. it really makes a big difference to have people around you as well. It does. But and you're right, it it feels like no time at all, even though no. it's it's a it's a bizarre place. It is. And it, it hasn't been long for you anyway, really. So thank you so much for sharing because I know it must be still quite raw for you. I'm but thank you. Thank no, you. Onwards and upwards. Yeah. And uh, you're, you're amazing and what you're doing is fantastic. So thank you so much and I can't wait to share this. Thank you. And I think you're amazing too, Jules, with the, <laughs> how, the way that you help people like me to um, connect and reach out to other people. So thank you. I hope you've enjoyed this episode of She's the Boss Chats. For more information and to find out about our other initiatives, including our weekly lunch for female founders and our TV show, go to she'stheboss.com.au.